The San Juan Islands are an evergreen string of pearls in the Salish Sea up in the northwest corner of Washington State, really closer to Victoria, BC than to the mainland of America. They are forested in dug fir and cedar and hemlock with old growth stands, freshwater lakes and rugged beaches. To get there, most people come by ferry, some by air, but it takes quite a commitment to get there from the Seattle area. You would drive about two hours to Anacortes and catch a ferry and have a 90 minute ride into the islands. And there are four ferry served islands, but more than 20 islands that have electricity in the area. The population is about 12,000 in the, for the year round residents and it swells double and triple in the summertime with summer visitors. And there are an interesting mix of working people, artisans, retired people, and a really growing farm and agricultural community that's very committed to local resilience and sustainable living in the islands. Hello and welcome once again to The Climate Conversation. I'm Dan Brissett, Executive Director of the Environmental and Energy Study Institute. And today we're gonna to be on the San Juan Islands in Washington State. But before we start talking about the San Juan Islands of Washington State and all of the great work they're doing around energy efficiency and broadband, I have an announcement to make. Normally when we have this podcast, I'm joined by Sydney O'Shaughnessy, Intrepid Communications Associate at ESI. Well, recently, Sydney departed ESI to take a really amazing job in support of communications work at the Department of Energy's Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy. So Sydney is no longer with us, although she remains with us in spirit. Um, she was a wonderful colleague and I'm sure she's doing great work. I know she's doing great work at ERE. But um, that means I need a new co-host because there's no way I can support this podcast by myself. And so I'm really, really happy to introduce to our podcast audience, my new intrepid co-host, also a communications associate here at ESI, Emma Johnson. Emma, great to see you today. Hi, Dan. I'm excited to be hosting the podcast with you. Well, I am excited to be hosting the podcast with you because we have a really great episode today. We started off the episode hearing from Suzanne Olson, the Public Relations Administrator at Orca's Power and Light Co-op, or OPALCO. It's a member-owned nonprofit cooperative utility that distributes electricity to 12,000 members across 20 islands in the San Juan Archipelago, north of Seattle by the Canadian border. Since the co-op serves all the islands, they really take being rural and remote to a whole new level. And it sounds like a huge challenge to get electricity out to those residents. And there's an even bigger challenge, how to get reliable internet service to those customers, which is what we're gonna be diving into today. And I'm really excited to talk about this because a lot of people might not think that broadband access is related to climate change, but it is. It's absolutely related to climate change. Having a strong broadband connection is key to running smart appliances like thermostats or water heaters that can improve the efficiency of your house or apartment. And on a larger scale, smart appliances can help improve energy efficiency across an entire service area by coordinating electricity use. And that's something that many utilities can even monetize. And in my house, for example, I have a Nest smart thermostat and that connects to Wi-Fi and automatically adjusts the temperature based on my preferences 
which both saves me money and lowers my emissions. Exactly. And Emma, you live in Washington, D.C. I live in Maryland. It's easier for you to have a reliable enough internet connection to keep the smart thermostat running or to make sure that the communications network that connects our smart meters are working and all of the other benefits that broadband brings to your house. But across the country, up to 42 million people don't have access to broadband. And most of these people live in hard to reach places like the San Juan Islands or other rural or tribal lands. At EESI, we've recently published a whole issue brief on the very subject of rural broadband, which you can read at www.eesi.org papers. John Michael Cross, EESI's on-bill financing project manager, was one of the editors of that issue brief. I also want to give a special shout out to past EESI interns, Rachel Sneed and Jackson Tolbert for their work researching and writing on the issue brief. Now let's get more background on broadband access nationwide from John Michael. In 2015, uh, the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, established a minimum broadband standard uh, to be 25 megabits per second as a download speed and three megabits per second as an upload speed. So most of the broadband access data is around that 25.3 standard. But many experts are now saying that that's probably too low of a standard because one, actual internet speeds are almost never up to the levels that your internet service provider, your ISP says that it is. And uh, we're also asking more and more of our internet connection, especially over the last year and a half. According to the FCC, there are 14 and a half million Americans or four and a half percent of the population that lack access to that minimum broadband standard of 25 megabits download a second. But this is probably an underestimate uh, because of the way the FCC collects data. Uh, an independent research or looking at this said the figure could be as high as 42 million without broadband access. So if you start to compare broadband access to urban and rural areas, you really start to see a contrast or a digital divide between the two regions of the country. 98% by one count of urban areas have access to broadband internet, uh, while 71% of rural areas and 70% of tribal lands have access to broadband. There are four main factors leading to the digital divide. There's uh, geographic isolation, lack of competition, affordability issues, and issues of broadband companies expanding to areas with different socioeconomic levels. For uh, the geographic divide, it's just a lot more infrastructure you need to build out to connect each home with rural broadband and just in the way it was hard to get private companies to electrify America 100 years ago, it's hard to convince them that the investment is worth the return uh, to connect rural households. For lack of competition, in many cases, urban and rural, but especially in rural America, there is only one company providing broadband internet access. And without competitor, there's just a lack of a market force to push the build out uh, to serve the rural population. That connects to affordability. Lack of competition allows the, the ISP to set the price at whatever they want. And then that can create financial hurdles for families to sign up for broadband. And then we also see uh, uh, cases where internet companies are picking and choosing which communities they're going to bother connecting first based on expected return. And so basically back to redlining issues uh, and, and social justice issues that continue to be a massive problem. 
we typically see white and higher income communities connected before communities of color uh, and communities that have lower incomes. So before you go any further, let's back up a bit and talk about why energy efficiency is so important in the first place. A study by the American Council for an Energy Efficient Economy found that energy efficiency can slash U.S. energy use and greenhouse gas emissions by about 50% by 2050. That would get us about halfway to where we need to be to meet our national climate goals. More than that, too, not only do energy efficient buildings reduce carbon emissions, they also save people a lot of money. Rural households spend about 40% more of their annual income on energy than urban households do, which can be a huge burden for those families. And there's a lot of reasons why rural families face these burdens, from, from the age of their homes to chronic economic hardships and to a lack of energy efficiency programs. Now, we know how to make homes more energy efficient, but without broadband, something like installing smart appliances which is one way to reduce energy costs and reduce greenhouse gas emissions, is totally off the table. And that's really important to know, Dan, especially for the future as more and more appliances are connecting to Wi-Fi. This could also be really helpful to community services like hospitals and shelters that need access to internet and Wi-Fi all the time to save people's lives and do their jobs. Let's get into more detail with John Michael about broadband access and how places can begin to address the digital divide. So how can we begin to address the, the digital divide? One area would be money. And uh, if, if the government is able to help fund the, the build out of the uh, fiber infrastructure for broadband to areas that are maybe seen as less profitable by internet service providers, that could certainly be one way to do it. Better yet, maybe help those communities build out their own networks so they're not reliant on large internet service providers. And so you could do that by say, helping a, a, a tribe build out its own internet infrastructure. Uh, municipally owned systems, just like we have municipally owned uh, water or electricity or things like that, you can have municipally owned broadband systems. There's plenty of those around the country already, but they do need money to get started. Another way is to work with rural electric cooperatives and to help them distribute fiber systems. That's something system co-ops are doing already. They really see the connection between the types of new energy efficiency devices they want to put into a home and the fact that those homes need quality internet for those devices to work. While we've mostly talked about rural issues today, there are still urban connectivity issues, uh, specifically in neighborhoods that are typically the last ones to see any type of economic development. So the, the broadband issue is across the country and we, and we can't just think like we've solved urban connectivity issues. Now it's rural. It's, it's there's still must be done on all levels. It's clear that broadband access is so critical on a national scale. Dan, how does this connect to those amazing San Juan Islands? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Emma. Let's go back to Suzanne, who started off our show. Hi, Suzanne. Thanks for talking to us. Thanks for having me. So Alpalco was faced with a real challenge about how to bring broadband internet access to its residents. Can you talk about how you solved that problem? Sure. It's been a tremendous problem. We had a huge gap in uh, broadband, access to broadband in, in the 20 islands that Opalco serves. And we had been talking about various solutions as a community and couldn't really get any big companies to come in and solve the problem. And then in 2013, when the incumbent telecommunications companies cable broke and we were all cut off from phone, internet and 911 service for 10 days, the issue came to a head and Opalco 
began to move towards the solution that we implemented, whereby we share the fiber backbone that is part of our electrical distribution system in order to build a broadband hybrid fiber and LTE system to serve the far reaches of our of our 20 island service territory. Suzanne, how is establishing the LTE connections to the islands changed Opalco's uh, work or the services you're able to offer to your members and customers? That's a really good question because LTE is very much tied to energy efficiency. And so our members are interested and concerned with energy efficiency, but without having access to the internet, there are a lot of limitations to what they can and can't do. For example, being able to control their ductless heat pumps remotely requires a robust internet connection. And certainly Opalco, through our wholly owned subsidiary, Rock Island Communications, has branched out entirely to provide you know, uh, internet services now to, I think, about nearly 50% of the market in the San Juans. And that has changed the quality of life for our members, and it has changed our members' abilities to make a living, access education and telemedicine, and have a, a greater level of safety in our remote rural area. And you touched on this a little bit already, but can you talk about how uh, the residents in the San Juan Islands who are served by Opalco, how their quality of life has changed since improving broadband access? Sure. Islanders are have grit. That's what you can say about island living. You, you have to have grit. We are limited in a lot of ways by the the moat that surrounds us and the movement of supplies and the availability of services. One of the greatest things I would say is public safety. And we had some situations where we had people actually die when they experienced a heart attack on a bike ride in a rural part of the county and no no cell signal could get through to, to bring the 911 services there. And our own crews in the field couldn't stay in good touch with each other and with our main offices. And that's a real safety concern. So we had we had huge public safety concerns. And the way that Opaco solved this problem included bringing in a partnership with T-Mobile. And so between T-Mobile, Rock Island, our wholly owned subsidiary, and Opaco's fiber backbone, we have presented a complete and far-reaching solution so that nobody is really left behind. In terms of workforce, it's given our residents tremendous access to new employment opportunities. And of course, during the pandemic, the ability to work at home. The social justice aspect of it is huge. There's a great divide in the San Juan Islands between the people who are wealthy enough to retire in the area and the people who are working really hard to raise a family in a area with a higher cost of living and without access to a lot of competition for services and goods. And I think that um, 
that broadband is the great equalizer and it's really leveled the playing field in San Juan County. Thanks so much for that, Suzanne. I'm curious about what's coming next. What does Opalco have in the works in terms of plans to continually improve broadband access for energy efficiency going forward? Opalco has been able to offer broadband services to almost every corner of the San Juan Islands, including the ferry routes, which allows people who commute between islands for work to keep working on those long ferry rides. And and kids who go to school on other islands can do their homework on their way home. But the limiting factor is the number of devices that can t- that are you know starting to create uh, capacity concerns on the LTE system and trying to get fiber to as many people as possible. Fiber is the real gold standard, and it's difficult in our territory because we all live on these big rocks, and it's some some areas are difficult to trench. Some areas are just really remote and hard to get to in terms of the you know the miles or the, the linear feet. So Opalco will continue to invest in our community and expand fiber as much as we can. We're we're trying to relieve congestion on LTE sites with greater fiber connections. And uh, Rock Island Communications does a great job of getting neighborhoods together to try and share costs and, and resources to try and reach every corner of the county. So continuing to expand services and reach as many of our members as we can is our number one priority. You mentioned a little earlier that with uh, the change in workforce and demand because of the coronavirus and a lot more people working from home that it really shifted electricity use on the San Juan Islands. Can you talk a little bit more about how Opaco responded to that change in workflow dynamics? Yes, that's a great question. I can't imagine how life would have been for all of us over these last 18 months without good internet connection. It has been the defining factor in our quality of life. And when, well, a couple of things happened. First of all, when schools closed, we all of a sudden had a lot of families who weren't particularly prepared to support their children's learning at home. And what Rock Island was able to quickly pivot to provide is an internet connection and a device such as an iPad to about, I think, 200 families in the San Juan Islands who otherwise would not have been able to support their their kids learning at home. And the Rock Island worked with our schools and our teachers to identify students to get the appropriate devices and to find a solution for each of those households so that they would have access to the internet. And the other thing that happened in San Juan County, we have quite a number of part-time residents, homes that are owned but not occupied full-time. And we found a great number of people coming to occupy their homes full-time during the pandemic because they could, they were working remotely, their children were going to school remotely, and San Juan Islands presented a safer place to sit it out. And so we've seen um, a huge uh, increase in demand for internet services and for the number of devices that we're, that we're uh, covering and for, you know, more people 
more people using the resources from home, children that are in school, parents that are working, connecting with families across the globe. And there's been a great deal of appreciation and love for Rock Island Communications and Opalco and the county, realizing how important that resource was and that essential infrastructure is to our quality of life. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today, Suzanne. Really appreciate having you on today. Thank you for having us. We appreciate you and, and your support, and we look forward to the next projects together. Thanks, Suzanne. Um, and uh, we really appreciate it. Congratulations on everything you've been able to do with broadband, but also just your general efforts to improve the sustainability of your members uh, and you know who live across that string of green pearls, as I think you called it. Thank you very much. Well, Emma, that was a really great conversation with Suzanne, you know, especially in a place like the San Juan Islands, all of the importance of broadband and reliable internet access and energy efficiency, is just so much more pronounced because of the geography. And, you know, she said that island residents require grit and uh, I totally believe it. I'm not sure island living is for me, but I'm sure if it were, I'd be a lot better off if I had reliable broadband access and energy efficiency to keep my house comfortable and my utility bills low. You know, there are a lot of tools that we have out there that we already know how to use that reduce emissions and save people money. And like you said in the intro, a lot of those are becoming smart and a lot of those require internet connections. And the last thing we can do is create a digital divide when it comes to energy efficiency. This episode has really emphasized for me, Dan, how broadband is a climate justice issue. We heard from Suzanne about how having cell service is so important uh, for getting healthcare to people who need it out on the islands. And so people who are living out there can work remotely, send their kids to schools remotely and do everything that they need to do out on the islands without having to worry about their internet access dropping off. And that's so important. And it's also important, as you said, for energy efficiency. And so while all these residents are doing all this work, on the internet that they're still able to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. Well, talking with Suzanne is a great introduction to the importance of broadband to energy efficiency and other programs. But if you wanna learn more about broadband in rural areas, it just so happens that ESI has a brand new issue brief all about it. And you can find that issue brief at www.eesi.org forward slash papers. Thank you for joining us for episode three of season two of the Climate Conversation. Hopefully you'll be able to join us in two more weeks because we have a really great episode coming up. If you like this story and want to learn more about EESI's work on energy efficiency and internet access, head to our website at eesi.org. Also follow us on social media at EESI online for all of our recent updates. The Climate Conversation is published as a supplement to our bi-weekly newsletter, Climate Change Solutions. Go to eesi.org slash sign up to subscribe. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.